You're listening to audio from Restoration Church. If you enjoyed the message and would like to get connected to our church, follow us on social media at Restoration Cambridge or at our website, restoration-church.ca. Send us a message and we would love to hear from you. We haven't had much of a winter. Man, I'm looking forward to spring. I am not much of a gardener. That's more my wife's domain. Actually, one of our daughters, Rose, her, she wants to grow up to work in a nursery so uh, and be a gardener, which is a great career to aspire to. I, however, am not a big gardener. However, I do help whenever Nikki has a vision, which is like every other day for how we're going to, you know, landscape the house um, and pulling up bushes and all of those and moving them to a different area of the house. This is where the vegetable garden is going to be. This is where the roses are going to be, all of those good things and how this is all going to be arranged. What the part that I do love about gardening is you know when you're when you're digging into the ground, you know, you get that, you know, that wet soil feeling. I love the feeling of like the mud in your hands and I don't mind worms. However, if a centipede crawls up my arm, it's game over. I'm done. Forget it. I am I'm not going to help anymore if I touch a centipede. But there's something in that garden that exhibits life. There's life, all of the, the, the browns and grays of winter translate to the greens and, and, and black soil of life in the garden. Life in God throughout scripture, I don't know if that's me, Greg, or not. It is me, I think. Hold on, I just got to fix this. Hopefully, I won't touch it. Hopefully, everything will be good. Life in God throughout the Bible was often described, pictured as a garden. Right from the beginning, of course, the Garden of Eden was a, a real place, but it was also a, it was a picture of what life in God was always intended to be to be like what life as created by God was always intended to be. This is de- the definition of life. And all the way through the Bible, you've got these pictures of Jesus tells parables pointing back to the garden. Even at the end of Revelation, there's pictures of heaven and the restoration of eternal life. The pictures are of the, e- the garden of Eden. This is what life in God always was meant to be like. It was that garden. In fact, there's something so almost worshipful if you have this sense when you do gardening as you're tending that garden and pulling weeds. You're almost doing what God does in our lives as he pulls weeds out of our life and puts soil and fertilizer and sees life grow. There's something almost worshipful about that practice. Not only in the Garden of Eden, but a very common metaphor in Scripture was of a vineyard, which would have been very common in in that day, in the Holy Land, especially in that day, scenes of a vineyard, especially the contrast between a desert or barren landscape, which there was a lot of that, to the greenery that existed in a vineyard and the fruit that was there. And the fruit was a natural outworking of the life that existed, the love for one another, the peace and security and joy that exists in life. That was the fruit of that vineyard. 
a life that was in harmony with its creator or its gardener, its caretaker, God the Father. Even so much so that when God chooses a people of his own, Israel, to show the world what life under God was supposed to look like, he describes them as a vineyard. In Isaiah 27, God describes his chosen people, this is a pleasant vineyard, and I, the Lord, am its keeper. Psalm 80 is a fascinating psalm. The psalmist writes this, speaking of the people of God, you, speaking of God, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. This is Psalm 80. You don't have to go there. I'm just reading it for you. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches, and it sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. This was the description of what life under God was always supposed to look like. Kids, because the kids are in this week taking sermon notes. Okay, I will be grading your sermon notes after. Okay, The picture of the vineyard, what is it supposed to represent? I'm just kidding, by the way, kids. I will not be looking at those. If you want to show me, that's great. But There was a problem, though, when it came to the people of God. Because the psalmist goes, goes on and says, Why then have you broken down its walls, so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? So people start stealing the fruit. The boar from the forest ravages it. Which, by the way, there's kind of an outbreak of boars, apparently, now in Canada, in Ontario. There's boars now running around. Did you know that? There are. There are wild boars now running around Ontario. And they do a ton of damage. Look it up. It's a real thing. I think a whole, I was going to say flock. It's not a flock. A herd. Herd? I don't know what it is. A herd was seen north of Pickering. Imagine walking north of Pickering. You see a herd of wild boar. Yeah, it's happening. So the boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. The vineyard, because this was the way that God was intending life to be, but the people did not live the way that God intended it to be, and now there's this picture that the vineyard has been corrupted. There's always a longing for the life in God, but in the vineyard, but it always fell short in the people of God. That's at the end of Psalm 80. It says, "Turn again, O God of hosts! Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for the vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They've burned it with fire and they've cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face." But he says this: "But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself." Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. All of that is to give some context and bearing for when Jesus says in this upper room discourse, in John 15, when Jesus says, I am the what? I'm the true vine. If you want to experience life the way that it was meant to be experienced under God, the only attachment is through the true vine. 
in Jesus is the life is life in God. This is our confidence as we gather. This is our identity. If you want to experience life, I have no idea what what keeps popping, Greg, but we're just going to keep rolling with it. I don't know if that's me or, or what, but something's popping. This is our confidence. This is our identity that we are attached to the true vine. We're not defined by the desert. We're defined by the vine. If we're in Jesus. We're not defined by our depravity. We're defined by His righteousness. We're not defined by our disobedience. If you're in Jesus, you're defined by His forgiveness. You're not in sin. Those of you who are struggling, you think, I've failed this week. Well, that's not your identity anymore. If you're in Christ, you're not in sin anymore. You're in Christ. You're not merely a sinner saved by grace. That's not your identity anymore. Your identity is not a sinner. You are a saint, a full-fledged saint, if you are attached to the vine. I know there's old songs that say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. That's kind of true, but kind of not true. Because your, your main identity is not your disobedience and depravity and your sin. Your main identity is that you're attached to the vine. You're a saint. And that's our confidence. Those, when we get, you know, when we get so attached to our own shame and disobedience and failures, you know, we're, we're living according to the desert, not, not the vineyard anymore. This is our confidence. And the fruit of the life of Jesus hinges on our attachment. We're just going to let her mosey right on through here. The, the fruit of the life of Jesus hinges on our attachment to the vine. But like Israel before us, our attempts at creating, this is where we, like Israel before us, who tried to create a God-honoring nation, but without being attached to the vine, we also, our attempts at creating a Christian family, a Christian church, or a Christian nation will always fall short if we're not attached to the vine. He is the only true vine. He is the attachment to the life of God. Your identity and confidence doesn't come from the family that you were born into. It doesn't come from the church that you attend. It doesn't come from the nation that you're a part of. It comes from the true vine, Jesus. That is your identity. Man, all of it. I, and I, I'm saying this because I struggle with this all the time. I want to find my confidence in another sort of identity when it comes from the church that I'm a part of, the job title that I have, or even in our day, the sexual orientation that we may have. All of those things fall short of the life that we were always meant to experience. If our confidence is in the vine, that's our attachment to the life God offers. And if it's not, we will always fall short. There's a dire warning in verse 2 of our passage that Sam read. And it says in verse 1, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. It says in verse 2, a dire warning to us. Every branch in me 
that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And then later on, if you look at, go look, look at verse 6 in your Bible, it says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into fire, and burned. It says, Those that do not bear fruit, it says he takes away. Now, there's a clear difference here. He's not saying that God the Father is cutting them off. He takes them away. The inference is that the branches that are no longer attached to the vine, eventually what happens to them? Well, they die, and then what? They fall to the ground. And then what do you do? You come around and you, you pick up. Like when, when you, I used to, used to do corn detasseling in, in Chatham. And you would, uh, you would walk down the cornfields. If you don't know what corn detasseling is, it's fine. It's just creating hybrids of corn. But we used to walk down rows of corn, popping off the tassels off the top, and you'd also have to pick up the ones that were dead on the ground in case they fertilized the corn anyway. That's all beside the point. The po- that is going to bother me to know. I have no idea what that is, but it's going to keep bothering me. Maybe if I switch it over here. Someone pray against the popping sound because it's gonna lo- I'm going to lose my mind afterwards. <laughs> But it says, God the Father will take away those that have died and fallen to the ground. He doesn't cut off, but the sense is that he picks up what is not attached to the vine. Because the point is, they're dead. When we have campfires in our backyard, I'm almost like ready just to use a different mic. If it pops again, Greg, I'm using the other mic, okay? In our backyard, when we have a campfire, we go around picking up all the little sticks that have fallen onto the ground because they're all easy to burn. That's the picture. It's like they're not good for life anymore. They're only good for burning in fire because they're dead if they're not attached to the vine. You might think, well, Aaron, is this like about losing your salvation? Is this about talking about the nation of Israel? It's no longer the people of God. I think it's much simpler than that. Simply that... There is no life apart from the vine. You have to be attached to the vine for there to be life. So the question is, what does God actively cut? It's not the ones that have died and fall to the ground. Where does God cut? The ones that are attached to the vine. The ones that are bearing fruit. God comes with his sharp scissors and starts cutting up and pruning so that they will bear more fruit. There's a play on words here because the word prune doesn't just mean cut. It means to be cleaned. But the idea is that it's like he's cutting but for its own good. Those of you who are like rose, rose gardeners or gardeners in the room, in the spring, do you not do that? I don't really know what I'm talking about. You cut down all the branches so that they bear more fruit or bear more roses, I think. Someone give me a nod. I think that's what, yeah, Emily's like, yeah, that's what you do. You got to do that or else you let it grow and it won't actually bear the same fruit that it was intended to bear, right? You have to prune it down to, I don't understand. It is what it is. That's what you do. You, prune, you cut back so that it will bear more fruit. The, the sense is that God comes and cuts, but for its own good. The point is this. The greatest problem that we have in in our life is not pain. That's not our greatest problem. In fact, if we're 
producing fruit, what does Jesus say is going to come? Pain. You're going to, there's there's going to be things in your life that are, he's going to actively cut off with sharp sheep. I'm doing this. I don't know if this is what, Emily, what, how, what are these, what do they look like? You, you use little shears, like just little scissors. That's what it is. Basically, yeah. Pain is not the worst thing you can experience in your Christian life. In fact, pain might be a proof that God is working and is going to, is, is actually cutting things off your life so that he, to produce more fruit through you. Pain and suffering and struggle is not the worst thing you can go through in your Christian life. Do you know what the worst thing is? Apathy. Silence from God. If God's doing nothing in your life and there's no pain, I think there's some questions we'd have to ask ourselves. Is God cutting me? You know, we always talk about that we want to grow as Christians. You know, at Restoration Church, some of you, some of you are in groups with Colin. We're looking toward the future and be like, how do we grow and mature in our faith? Well, it's not going to be a pretty process, right? It's not just going to be about memorizing some scripture, which is a good thing, about reading the Bible, which is a good thing, and getting together with friends. There's going to be a lot of pain in that growth. In fact, I don't think growth is even possible without a level of pain and struggle. I think think it proves it from this passage. You're going to experience pain. It's the same thing like stress in life. We want to avoid all stress, but there's good things in life that we're supposed to stress out about. Stress is not all bad. To grow, you have, it's going to require some stress on your life. The same thing when it comes to pain. That's why the greatest problem is not struggle or pain. It's silence from God. If we're in Christ, pain and struggle will be unavoidable, but it will be for our own good. Here's a rather uncomfortable passage that we don't like. I don't think I like it, but I believe it to be true. In fact, the passage itself says I don't really like it. Hebrews 12 says, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline on your life. And don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he chastises each one he accepts as his child. I love this part. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who's never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his child at all. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us. So that we might share in His holiness. (laughs) I like that it includes this. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. From Hebrews 12. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. Thank you, Hebrews 12, for saying that, because I don't know if I like it either. It's not really enjoyable. Well, thank you. The Bible says we don't have to enjoy it, but we have to understand it's good for us. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. In fact, it's painful. 
But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Can you say amen to that passage? Man, that's a passage we don't really like because we tend to avoid all pain and suffering in North America and assume it's a bad thing. In fact, the pain that you might be going through right now could be really good. You don't have to enjoy it or invite it into your life. But through pain and struggle, your dependence upon him is growing. Your prayers tend to come more alive. And God is glorified, as it says in verse 8, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. In him, the scars in your life aren't pointless. You look back in your life, guys. You see the scars that have happened in your life. If you are attached to the vine, those things aren't pointless. They're not random things that you went through. In Him, the scars it may exist in your life. They're not purposeless. They're not meant to bring you shame. But the scars are proof that you're alive. In Him. We get to praise Him for the changes that He's making in our life. As painful as they might be. The life He's producing more and more and more in me as more and more fruit is created. That is the point of life. Okay, here's the big point, though, today, okay? Here's the big point that I want you to see in this passage. The big point. You ready? No idea why that opened. Here's the big point. You'll notice something really important. It says more and more and more fruit will be uh, developed or created in your life. Jesus doesn't tell you to bear fruit, though. When you read this passage, Jesus doesn't say, Kale, bear more fruit. Doesn't say, Colin, bear more fruit. Aaron, bear more fruit. Do good things. Jesus doesn't say that. He takes glory in the fruit that is born in us, but he doesn't tell us to bear fruit in this passage. And here's where you can, I think, create some problems. This is where inadvertently we may dip into self-righteousness. Like, look at the fruit of my labor, God, that I've been laboring for you. This is really important. Because Jesus doesn't tell us to bear more fruit the fruit is a byproduct of something else. What does Jesus tell us to do in this passage? Abide in me. He doesn't say, Aaron, bear fruit. He says, Aaron, abide in me. And if you abide in me, then what will happen? You'll bear fruit. He tells us to abide. There's this fascinating reality of being in Christ, but also there's an imperative to stay there. Two things, and that, then I'm going to be done today. Two things about abiding, because abiding is going to be a huge part of the rest of this series. Which makes it very un-Aaron Ottaway-like, I have to admit. Two things... 
First thing that abiding means is this. Abiding is an utter dependence in everything in your life. On the vine. That's what abiding means. It's an utter dependence upon the vine for everything in your life. Life comes completely from the vine. If you are not attached to the vine, the branch dies, withers, and God picks it up. Life, energy, all things that all life the way it was intended to be comes from the vine, even more so in verse 5. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he, is, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now that doesn't mean you can't do, it means that the life the way God intended you to be, you cannot live that. You cannot experience that if not attached to the vine. I think we've made a big problem in Christianity. At least in my generation of Christianity, maybe we've leaned away from this a little bit. We've boiled Christianity down to a prayer you once prayed when, who knows when, in your life, and then that is the definition of your Christianity. I used to struggle with that a lot because I used to look back at my life and be like, did I really mean what I said? And like everything on, in my Christian faith hinged on whether I really meant this prayer at some point in my life? And what if I really didn't mean it? What does that mean for my Christian faith? Some Bible camp that you went forward and it's like, did I have all of like my ducks in a row? Did I have all of my intentions correctly? Christian, we've defined Christianity as a singular prayer. I think we've moved away from that a little bit. It's given a moment, but not much else. However, abiding means an utter dependence upon the vine in everything in your life. Not one moment, but every part of your life. Spiritual formation is a growing union and dependence upon Jesus, it's giving more and more and more of your life to Him. I think that's what growing in faith often looks like. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to give this part of my life away to you, Jesus. I'm ready to give this part of my life away to you. I'm ready to give this part of my life to you. And the pain that I often experience is, is when I don't want to give something away to God. I want to keep it for myself. I want to determine this part of my life. You can have all those other, you can have my church life, but I want my family for myself. I want to determine what happens with my family. This is important. What I am not giving to the vine, what not giving to Jesus, I restrict life from that thing I'm not giving to Jesus. Do you know if you don't give your children to Jesus for Him to determine what happens to them, which happens in a lot of Christian families, like I want to control my children, you are actually restricting life, not just from you, but from who? Your kids. 
They will not see the life of Jesus in you if you don't give them up to Jesus. Same thing with your job. Like if, if this is just, if, if this Christian thing for you is kind of just a Sunday morning thing, where is the only area of your life that you're going to experience life the way that it was meant to be experienced? Here, Sunday mornings. Every other area of your life, you will not experience life the way Jesus intends you to experience it if you do not give it up to Jesus. I'm still learning how to give him my family. But if I don't, my children won't see the life of Jesus in me toward them. They just see me. They don't see the vine. My work, I won't produce the fruit of Jesus in my work if I do not give my work over to him. So the question of abiding isn't, am I volunteering in the church? It's, is the life of Jesus flowing through me in every area of life? That's what abiding looks like. You know, a lot of, some, a couple people ask me this, because there's, man, if you want social media, which I don't recommend, by the way. Well, you could if you want, but you got to be really careful. You know, there's, there's like a phenomena happening in the United States of Asbury University. Maybe you've heard about that. There's a revival or something going on there. I don't really know what's going on. So I've seen videos of, you know, of what's going on. Uh, what I do like about it is there doesn't seem to be lights, fog machines, or big-name speakers there. It's just students confessing their sin, which is how all revivals begin, is through confession and prayer. And if that's what this is about, then yeah, I'm all for it. In fact, I'm praying for the same thing to happen here, that there would be a movement of the Spirit of God where people would confess their sins and pray to God and that the Spirit would fall on us in a special way and we call that revival. But if it doesn't result in giving your life of its entirety to Jesus, then I don't think it's a movement of God. Because revival is confession, giving your life. That's, man, that's, that's, that's the picture we get from baptism when you, give, when you go all the way under the water and come back up. It's, it's a confession that I'm giving up every area of my life to you, Jesus. I want the life of Jesus to flow through me in every area. It's the old song, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from from thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect, use every power as you choose. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at your feet its treasure store. Take myself, and I will be ever only all for thee. That's what abiding looks like. It's giving up everything in your life to Jesus.
There's probably some things you're holding back. I don't know what they are. It's for you to do you know, your, your struggle with God. And it's probably going to take some pain to give them up. But it's good pain. Easter's coming. I would also say this. If you have not done the picture of what that means, which is baptism, Lord, I'm giving up my life to you. I want, I, I'm putting my trust in you. I'm a follower of you, and I want everyone to know that. If you have not done that, we want to baptize people at Easter. Or before that, I don't care when it is, but I want you to talk, come talk to me if you have not been baptized and you would like to go through baptism. We would love to do that with you. <coughs> Lastly is this. So abiding means that an utter dependence in every area of your life. Secondly is this. Simply, abiding means to stay. That's, that's, that's basically what to abide means. Stay. Stay on the vine. That's, when it says abide in me and I in you, it means to stay on the vine. And the life will flow through you and will create fruit. To abide is to stay. That's what at its base it means, to remain on the vine. That's it. We're encouraged actually to dawdle, to loiter on the vine, to waste time on the vine, to fritter, fritter our lives away on the vine. We're encouraged to do that, to stay. You might think, Aaron, that's it. I just got to stay on the vine. Trust me, it's not easy. That's not easy. Take it from someone who is a perpetual mover and who's always looking for the next thing to do. For me to stay is really hard. I'm always looking for the next thing. The next vine. The next hit. The next rush. So I'll be excited about my life. Perpetually looking for the next thing when everything else is moving. And man, our world moves fast. Things may come and go. People will come and go. But it's what remains steadfast in your life that really defines you. And at this point, all I can say as we close is when Jesus says, abide in me and I in you, he is telling you, man, whatever is going on in your life, whatever temptations that, that are like, to do this, 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 man, I don't know, but he's saying, stay, stay with me. Stay on the vine. I need you to stay. And you need me to stay. Everything else in your life may change. But it's that one thing that cannot change. Stay on the vine. You might change churches. You might change jobs, you might change families, whatever it is. But this one thing in your life that will define you is whether you stay on that vine. And Jesus promises that I will stay with you and bear fruit through you. I can't get into too much detail of what that looks like. That'll come in future weeks. For now, this is my encouragement. Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you so much for your word. You are the true vine. Attachment to you is the life of God. And I admit, God, that there are so many other things that tempt me, that, that get my attention.
where I think satisfaction and life really come from, but they don't. It's a lie. This one thing will define me. To stay on that vine. Especially for those who may feel discouraged this morning. You know, we're always looking for something new that's going to make life better. It's going to cheer us up. Jesus says, come back to the vine. In me is life. I pray for those in this room right now, Lord, that are maybe aren't attached to the vine for one. Lord, are There may be some who are attached to the vine, but man, that attachment is growing a little weaker and weaker and abide in me. In the complexity of life, there is a profound simplicity of what our Christianity looks like. And are we attached to Jesus? This alone is what matters. pray for from my own soul, my own heart. Nothing else really matters being a pastor or how I pastor. Nothing else really matters if I'm not attached to the vine and practicing that every day. God, I give you my life every day. I pray that that would be true for everyone here. Yeah, I pray for this in your name. Amen.